You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hello, everybody. This is Megan, and welcome to Tea Time Crimes, the true crime podcast that explores women's stories under the lens of murder and mayhem. Each week, my co-host Alana and I delve into the psychology of killers, the strength of survivors, and everywhere in between. Wait, what? I thought this was a tea podcast. Oh, yeah. And Alana is left completely in the dark for each episode. So join us every week for a fascinating case with Alana's fresh perspective and a comprehensive yet accidentally comedic tea review. I bring the tea and she brings the crimes. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tea Time Crimes, out! Hi, I'm Annie in the U.S. And I'm Johanna from Austria, and you're listening to your favorite international podcast. You just heard the promo for Tea Time Crimes, hosted by Megan and Alana. Yeah, go have a listen. That sounds great. I love the name. Also, I love tea. There's a lot (laughs) happening in there that I'm interested in. They already have a lot of episodes that you can binge. Excellent. So that's good. Nice. Yeah. All right. I think we should get right into it today because this is a really big case. We've done two really big cases recently, and this is this is the second one. And there's a lot for you to get through and talk to us about, I think. And I'm really, True. I really want to know more. So, yeah. Would you do the recap for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sounded like you just there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so last week, Johanna told us about the abduction of Natasha Kampusch. Her name is actually N-A-T-A-S-H-A. My spell check constantly changes it to the American spelling. It's a really, really famous case in Austria. And this week, you're going to be telling us more about it. If you didn't listen to last week, please stop this one now and go back and listen to episode 189 first, last week's. Because otherwise, you're going to be missing out on a lot of information. For those of you who listened but need just a quick refresh, this is, this is more or less how it goes. On the 2nd of March, 1998, 10-year-old Natasha Kampusch is on her way to school. It's a relatively short walk of less than a mile, which is 1.3 kilometers. Only one-tenth of a mile, or 300 meters, from her school. So she is, she is there basically. Yeah, she's almost there. Yeah. Yeah. She is grabbed by a stranger who throws her into a white creeper van and drives off with her, which is, that's the 80s and 90s nightmare, right? That's, it's the literal worst nightmare. It happens. Her abductor is a 35-year-old man. His name is, Johanna, you should say it, because... Wolfgang Priklopil. Priklopil. So I would have said Wolfgang Priklopil. So, Mm -hmm. there we go. He tells her that he was supposed to hand her over to people who had hired him to abduct a little girl, but that plan fell through, and then now he's, like, stuck with her. He takes her to his house in Strasshof, which is a town outside of Vienna, and in his house, he had built a cell under his garage. The cell was approximately 8 by 9 feet, so 280 by 180 centimeters. And it is very, very well hidden behind a safe in an underground workshop pit that's sort of off the garage, guarded by a heavy steel and concrete door. It is hard to see, hard to find. 
There was, however, one witness to the kidnapping. This is a 12-year-old girl, also on her way to school, and she was able to describe the white van. The police now have a lead, and they question hundreds of owners of white vans in the area, even Wolfgang Prikopol. But after a short interview at his house, they rule him out as a suspect, even though he has no alibi, and even though he is named as a suspect by another law enforcement officer. That's still so upsetting that they dismissed Mm -hmm. that so quickly. And that, I think, is roughly where we left off last week. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Annie. So the sources, again, are the same as last week, mainly Natasha's book, 3096 Tage, or 3096 Days. And all the other sources, all the other articles will be named in the according album. Again, just like last week, this case is about the abduction of a minor, so keep this in mind. Some little details I forgot to mention last week, but just remembered when Annie gave us a recap. Last week, I wasn't sure if they only looked at the white vans in the area because it mentioned somewhere that it was around 1,000 cars they checked. I thought initially that the 12-year-old witness had not remembered any detail of the license plate, but I checked again and apparently she actually had seen that the license plate said GFGF, which stands for the district Gensandorf, and that's the district where Strasshof lies. So that's where they focused their search, which makes it even more upsetting that they ruled out Periklopil so quickly. Yeah, that makes it worse, for sure. Also, if Periklopil wanted to get into the cell where he kept Natasha, it took him more or less an hour because of the things he had to move around and the door that led into the cell, uh, you know, the the one that was concrete and Mm -hmm. forced, weighed 180 kilograms, that's 330 pounds. And it's pretty impossible for a 10-year-old to move, even if she would have been able to get to it at all. Yeah. Also, I planned that this would be a two-part episode, just like with Annie's Lady of the Dunes update. It turned out to be much bigger than that. So this episode, in this episode, we will, I will kind of finish what happened. But next week, I would love to do another episode talking about the aftermath of the case, uh, everything that happened afterwards. So just be prepared, there's going to be another episode, but the main case will be done by today. No, that's good. I'm excited for that. You know, sometimes it's a case and we don't have that much information and the entire case start to finish, we can tell you in half an hour. And sometimes it needs to be three parts and it's just going to take however long it takes in order for us to tell it to you the way way we want to tell it. And here's a lot of information because we have the victim's word. We have her book, how she experienced everything. So, all right, Natasha had been abducted for several weeks already. And during that time, Periklopil kept telling her that he had kidnapped her for others and that they had failed to pick her up. So he was stuck with her. And Natasha really wanted to send her parents a message to let them know that she was alive and well. So she wrote a little letter and she even manages to hide a little clue in there about the fact that she's kept in Strasshof. And she crafts a little envelope and then she handed it to the kidnapper and she was pleading with him to send it to her mom. And at first he's like, absolutely not. But Natasha keeps begging and begging. And so at one point he just wants her to stop, I guess. And so he takes the letter and he promises her to mail it. And of course, I'm guessing he doesn't mail it. No, of course not. No. The next time he comes downstairs, he has a bandage on one of his fingers or something like this. He has an injury and he tells the little girl that he had tried to mail the letter. But just as he was about to throw it in the mailbox, the others came and took it from him. 
and he tried to fight them off, but they were stronger, and that's how he ended up with the injury. Right. The others. Okay. Mm. The sad thing is, this is the kind of thing that only really works on a child, maybe. Yeah. You know? Ugh. A little while later, it's Natasha's mother's, so Brigitte's birthday. And again, Natasha wants to send her a message. This time she asks to record a little message on a tape, uh, on a tape recorder. Again, telling her mom that she's okay, she's alive and well. And she asks Wolfgang Briklopil to please try again to send her parents this message on this tape. Because she doesn't want her mom to be sad on her birthday. Of course. And Wolfgang takes the tape and he tells her, we'll do. But now his whole story changes. He now says he managed to send her mom the message and that he then was in contact with her parents and asked for ransom money. Uh, he said that he would bring their daughter back if they would pay some amount of money. I don't know how much money he actually asked for. I'm sure it was some outlandish amount. Then he tells Natasha that her parents refused to pay for her, that they said they are happy she's gone and they don't want her back. He can keep her because they don't love her. Oof. Which is so heartbreaking. That's... yeah. But... Natasha is a smart girl and she tells him, that's absolutely not true. My parents love me. They told me so very often. And she says, they probably just don't have any money. And why he didn't kidnap the child of rich people if he was after money. Right. But over the next days, he keeps repeating his lie to her that they don't want her. Uh, they don't love her. Otherwise, they would send the money he asked for. And he says, I'm sorry, but I can't leave you now because you know too much. You've seen my face. You know where I am, and you will be here forever. Wow. And so around this time, she realizes that for now, at least nobody might come to save her, and that she has to kind of adjust to her current situation. So she starts asking for stuff that would make her prison down there a bit more bearable. So he brings her a little stove and a hot plate. He brings her a pot and some canned food, a C64, some board games, and from time to time, he would even play games with her. What's a C64? Uh, Commodore 64. Oh, uh, the computer. Very popular in of the course. 80s. Yes, yeah, the home computer. Of course. I just never thought I, we didn't have one. So I, yeah. He also brings her books, a Walkman with various music. She likes to listen to ABBA and the Beatles, for example. In the book, she says he, he was old for her. So she figured he would only know older music. So that's why she asked for the Beatles. Kind of fun. <laughs> uh, later, he would bring her a TV with a VHS recorder so she could watch some shows and movies. He would, of course, take care that there were no new segments on the tapes because uh, she couldn't know that her parents were, of course, still looking for her. Right. The shows she liked to watch were like Alf, Tool Time, Married with Children. She also asks for Franz Brandwein, which is a rubbing alcohol because the scent reminds her of her grandmother's house. She asks for a clock and a calendar because she wants to have at least some form of control over her day and at least be able to guess what time and what day it is. Uh, he gets her a radio, but one that would only play Czech radio stations, again, so that she wouldn't hear any news. Right. She also asks for cleaners and rags so she could keep the room downstairs clean. Uh, she had to fight the mold that started to grow down there. And also she starts to draw on the walls and it's actually really heartbreaking because she tries to recreate her home down there. For example, she draws the sideboard next to the door of her cell, uh, the sideboard that was next to the door in her home where her mom would put the keys on whenever she came home so that she could imagine, you know, being at home waiting for her mom to come in. 
She mm. also draws her family tree on one wall so that she could remember that she had a family out there. This is just so sad. It really shows you how resilient children are, although you hate when they have to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of these things I just named sounded kind of, I don't want to say nice, but okay, like a little bit kind. But Priklopil wasn't the nice guy who took care of Natasha and brought her everything she asked for. Of course he wasn't. He was an evil man who had abducted her and who tried to manipulate her in any way possible. Everything he brought her, all the books, the TV, the music, could be used to punish her. First of all, he showed her that he had absolute power over her by rationing the light. He would screw in the light bulb in the morning when he went down to bring her tea or hot chocolate. And he would unscrew it every evening when he told her to go to bed. Later he would install a timer switch and now every day the light would turn on at 7am and turn off at 8pm exactly. Then he installed an intercom. He told her it was for her safety, you know, so that she could contact him whenever she needed something or if she had an accident or got sick, she could press a button and like a hidden red lamp would light up somewhere upstairs. But very soon he changed the intercom system completely so that he could not only talk to her without a warning, like he would constantly just, you know, start talking, saying something like, obey me, obey me, obey me, over and over (sighs) again, these kind of things. Or, did you wash the dishes? Or, uh, are you still sleeping? Something like this. Yeah, I know. But he made it so that he could listen in on her 24-7. She could never be sure if he was listening at any given time of the day. And he would use whatever he heard as a reason to punish her. Things like, you sang too loud. You ate the whole banana, even though I told you to only eat half. You didn't wash the dishes properly. You used your Walkman too much. You wasted battery. You watched two episodes of your TV show instead of one, as I told you. And so on, and so on. And the rules constantly changed as well. Right. And to punish her, he would then take the books, or her music, or her food, And he would let her go without eating for days. She could never feel safe. She was even worried that he had installed cameras or drilled holes in the wall to watch her. And even after lights out, she she couldn't be sure because she was scared that he would like watch her with some night vision equipment. So she's lying there at night, too scared to move and making up backstories of her abductor that allow her to explain his erratic behavior and see see kind of his human side. Mm. So she remembers that in movies, evil people often were abandoned by their parents as a child. So she imagines the kidnapper is an orphan who had never experienced anything positive in his life. Of course, we know that he was not some neglected orphan, uh, very much the opposite. His mother was still coming over every week to cook and clean for him. Many times she would stay the whole weekend. That's when Natasha didn't see Wolfgang Priklopil from Friday to Sunday evening. And of course, Natasha at first had no idea that this was because his mother was upstairs. And his mother had no idea that he was keeping a young girl locked up in a secret room under his house. Isn't it weird? I feel a little bit badly for his mother. I mean... No, I feel feel bad for her too. Yeah, she was doing too much for an adult, like a grown adult. But yeah. she must have recognized something not right about him but mistaken it for some other thing, right? Because we kind of see what we want to see. So she just must have thought Mm. like, oh, he's socially awkward or terrible with girls and he needs me, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just so disturbing, isn't it? To imagine yourself in a place where you feel safe, like at the home of a family member, not knowing someone is being kept in a secret dungeon. Can you imagine? 
No. Also, I also feel bad for his mom. It's not her fault. No. Like, she didn't do anything wrong. She didn't help him. She didn't cover anything up. Yeah. I think at one one point she asked him if he was gay because he right. never had a girlfriend. So I yeah. guess that's what she suspected that, or that he was just socially awkward. Yeah. 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 That would, I mean, that would make sense. The cop knew. The cop, that one cop knew. That there was something off, right? Something was off with him. But, yeah. but in a way that a mother would explain as, oh, maybe he's yeah. gay. Maybe he's just, yeah. you know. Asexual, whatever. Something. Some people. Anything yeah. on the spectrum. I mean, there, we didn't talk about the spectrum back then, but there were obviously people on the spectrum back then. So you just think, well, they're just, they're marching to the beat of their own drummer, right? You're never going to think the problem is that he's got a child chained up in the, well, not chained, but, you know, locked up in the basement. Yeah. yeah. So Natasha is down there. And it's also in the dark of her lonely nights that Natasha thinks about the moment the police will find her because she's still convinced that they will find her. Mm. The moment she will see her parents again. And she also very often pictures her mother talking to her. You know, she's telling her that it's just like a vacation. Uh, Sometimes when you're on vacation, you can't call or write home. And sometimes you don't like it when you're on vacation and you feel homesick and that she just has to suck it up and get through it. And I told you last week that Brigitte was kind of a tough cookie and a no-nonsense person. Mm. And I honestly think that's one of the things that helped Natasha get through it. You know, the, the things she learned from watching her mom, probably, or the way her mom acted. Yeah. During the week when Priklopil's mother is not in the house, he usually goes down into the cell and eats a little meal with Natasha. And she is, of course, longing for human interaction. So she's actually looking forward to this visit. Of course. Uh, he would also shower her and wash her hair downstairs in the double sink. And in her book, Natasha describes it as if he was washing a car or cleaning some tool or household appliance that you have to take care of in a very sufficient and thorough way, but never in any way sexual. Yeah. If you've ever been bathed in a hospital, I can imagine exactly. Exactly. Something like this. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, apparently at one point she asked him if he was going to molest her. I think because of the many cases of child murder and molestation that had been on the news around the time. And he replied, you're way too young. Okay. So he's not a pedophile. At least not a, what we know. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or a hebophile. It doesn't mm. seem like. But so what was the reason for him to abduct a kid then? Grooming? Mm-hmm. So over the years, Natasha had asked him from time to time why he took her. And he never gave her a satisfying answer. Sometimes he said that he had targeted her specifically and that if it weren't that day, it would have been the next day or the day after that. Mm. Uh, Other times he said he was looking for a little girl to take and that she was just there at that moment. Natasha even wondered for years if he had indeed seen her before. Because remember, his mom lived not too far away. And he was in that area also very often. Right. So he knew the area. Her parents ran the corner shop and her father was a very extrovert person who knew a lot of people. And he would often, you know, take his daughter on his tours, going out, going to restaurants and bars. Sure. And so she wonders if Priklopil had seen her and decided that she was the perfect victim to take. We will never know the answer to that. But at one point when Natasha was already older, she asked again why he took her. And he replied, I always wanted to own a slave. And I think this is the closest to the truth we will probably get. Okay. I think, and that is what most experts who studied the case concluded, he kind of wanted to create his perfect woman or perfect companion. 
and for that he thought he needed to take a child and groom her without any outside influence. I think in one interview Natasha talked about that he had planned to marry her once she had turned 18 with some fake papers. Yeah. It makes me sad that he never told her conclusively why he chose her because I think it probably mattered to her. Because she had gotten into the fight with her mom and sort of decided to walk in a huff that day, she must have always wondered, if I hadn't gone, if I hadn't done that, would this not have happened? Whereas had he been stalking her, then it wasn't her fault. Then it would have happened. It was an inevitability. You know what I mean? So it, it that I mean, aspect. I know what you mean. Heart. It was never her fault, but she. No, I mean in her own head. Herself. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm, I mean how exactly. she probably yeah. would have thought about things. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. No. I, none of this is her fault. Obvious. Sorry if that wasn't yeah. clear. No, and I'm I'm glad that he's not a pedophile or a, a hebophile, which is someone who's attracted to kids that are more in the like 11 to 14 range, like the puberty age, you know, but none of this is good. I still wonder why the one uh, police officer, the canine handler who who contacted the police, the um, investigators and said to look at this guy. Yeah. And that he's a guy who's interested in children. I wonder where that came from. Right. Because there was... I never read anywhere else that there was anywhere something like this that he approached children in in a kind of a weird way or anything. He could have just been one of these cops who's a good cop because he just has maybe yeah, good instincts, yeah. you know. Yeah, instincts. Some people that's just true. have that that they listen to that gut feeling and they're they're right about it a lot of times. And they're in all different kinds of professions, but yeah. maybe something just like that. Yeah, I feel bad for that that officer though because I can't imagine how frustrating it must be when you're when you come forward and say, you know, I think I have a really good suspect for this case and yeah. you're just ignored. Also, this is probably a good moment to mention this quickly. Uh, of course, later on people always wanted to hear the horrible details of her abuse. The press and the public asked her highly inappropriate questions about her life with her abductor. And often they would ask if he had abused her because that's the kind of things they wanted to hear. And if he had abused her at what age or if she willingly did have a relationship with him. And I will leave you with this quote of Natasha Campos. She said, quote, this only concerns me and Mr. Priklopil, end quote. And she refused to give any answers to these intrusive questions and wanted to keep this little part of her life private especially after so much of her life had been dissected and commented on by the public. Well, in her entire life, she was spied on. Like, she's never really had anything, you know, her, not her entire life, but from the time she was taken. So good for her. It's nobody's business who or or when she shares that information, you know? Exactly, yeah. Now, even though Natasha was completely depending on Priklopil, even though he had total control over her and could punish or reward her at will, At one point, she realized that she was not completely powerless. She too could still deny him her compliance at times without consequences for herself. And that she too held some power over him, even if it was just a tiny bit. And she remembers one key moment for that. One time he insisted that she should start to call him maestro. Mm. Yeah, and and just like you and me, she found it absolutely ridiculous yeah. and refused to say so. And he kept telling her, "You will call me maestro from now on." And she kept replying, "No." And after several minutes of this back and forth, he simply dropped it and never brought it up again. I bet he was real embarrassed about it later. <laughs> I think she was really like a 
She was a tough little girl. Yeah, she was. I really like her a lot. And we should also keep in mind that she was a little child growing up in this absolute nightmare. She would need to adapt to survive this. For years, Priklopil was the only human contact she had, her only caregiver and the only person she could attach to. And this is something that many people later on couldn't understand at all. I think it's completely logical that she formed some kind of attachment to him. Also, and we're going to talk about that next week, she hates the term Stockholm Syndrome. Sure. But for example, she would ask him for hugs sometimes, because mm-hmm. everybody needs human interaction. More so a child growing up in a very uh, in a phase of her life where she's like... It's very formative years, let's say it like this. And he was the only thing she had. There wasn't nobody else. Right, right. And I think that's part of the reason that that you and I both have no interest in speculating on what may or may not have happened sexually between them. Because I think some people would speculate on that sort of thing to make it more salacious. And it's just not necessary because it doesn't matter what happened. None of it was her fault. There's no point talking about it because it doesn't change anything. I hope she's talking yeah. about it and has talked about it with a with a therapist, but nobody else needs to know because it, it doesn't matter in terms of she's never done anything wrong. After six months, she's allowed to leave her little cell for the first time. Priklopil takes her upstairs so she can take a bubble bath. For the first time, she even sees how her cell is set up and how impossible it would be for her to get out of there. She realizes uh, that would something happen to her abductor, Nobody would probably find her down there. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Upstairs, all the blinds are closed, and Wolfgang tells her that all the doors and windows are secured with booby traps, and that's something Natasha would believe until after her escape. From that day on, from the day she had the first bubble bath up there, she was allowed upstairs once in a while. Okay, so quick question. Back to mom. Because Natasha was living in that secret room... And mm-hmm. you, you'd said that Wolfgang's mother had come over once a week and, you know, cleaned and cooked meals and no idea someone else was living in the house. But how? Because Natasha needed food. There must have been more trash. She needed clothes and things, right? Like, how did he, mm-hmm. or was he sneaky enough? He just, did he explain things to her? Did she? That's a really good question. Thank you for that one. Priklopil was really careful, and he was also kind of paranoid, okay. which I guess you have to be if you abduct a person. Yeah. He would only buy groceries in stores in Vienna in areas where nobody would know him. Okay. He would take the trash from the cell and throw it in public bins in Vienna in areas where nobody would know him. He had a separate fridge for her down in the, I can't call it hallway because it's tiny, but the little room outside of her cell. And... Whenever she was upstairs, she would have to wear a plastic bag tightly wrapped around her head so that she couldn't lose any hair. And later, he would shave her head regularly. Whenever she was allowed to take a shower upstairs or take a bath, he would then immediately immediately clean everything, uh, clean the drains and pour bleach everywhere. Mm-hmm. And after her period had set in, she would have to sit on magazines all the time because he was scared that she could bleed on anything. Did he get her pad? Yeah. He did get her pads. Okay, so it was just, yeah. Because he was scared that she could bleed through. Oh, I get it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I get it. I mean, their pads and tampons are better today than they were in the 90s, but or even 2000s. But yeah, that kind of thing can happen anytime. So, and if anybody listening was like, ew, it's like, it's not a gross taboo subject, you know. No. <laughs> Natural. 
Plus, I can see him being so socially awkward, never having contact with any other women except for his mom. He wouldn't probably even know what what kind of sanitary products she would need, what kind of tampons, what kind of pads, right? Well, what was it? It was like when the first female astronaut went to space. And NASA yeah. was like, how many tampons do you need for a month or a hundred enough? And she was like, what? Yeah. Oof. Also, he only gives her his old clothes to wear, especially in the beginning. As she gets older, she's usually only allowed to wear a t-shirt or she would just be allowed to wear underpants. And he starts to enforce very strict rules when she's upstairs. Uh, she has to keep her head down, never look at him, always keep a distance of exactly one meter or 3.2 feet, and only talk to him when asked to. Okay. If she doesn't follow the rules, he punishes her. At first, just by taking things from her or by yelling, uh, later by using physical violence. And this violence quickly escalates. At first, he just, and, you know, I make air quotes me just, here. Just, yeah. Just throws stuff at her and always acts as if he's really sorry afterwards. And then he brings her ice cream and gummy bears to cheer her up. And he says, it's not going to happen again. And I'm so sorry. And please right. smile again. Kind of uh, yeah. toxic bullshit. Yeah. But soon he becomes more and more violent, and I think it's pure luck that she survives. She will suffer wounds that would often take months to heal, because he would keep punching her in the same spot, for example, on purpose. And he also controls how much she eats. Usually when they would eat together, she would only get one quarter of his portion, even as she grew older and had to do hard physical labor. And there were always several days in a row where he wouldn't allow her to eat any food. So she was emaciated and weak, and he would weigh her daily to make sure she wouldn't gain weight. That's awful. And I mean, I guess the, the violence is escalating because he wasn't afraid of any kind of consequences of his actions. He's also interesting because initially, like when we discussed this last week and, and initially in, in this week, Part of me was wondering sort of how with it he was, like how much of him was, but the more you've told me, the more it does sound like, oh, he was completely with it because he went to great lengths to hide everything. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. 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 There's no, there's no component there where he didn't understand that this was a problem. Yeah. If any of you out there don't hate him enough already, I hear a lot of facts about him that I can tell you he, Often would say he admired Adolf Hitler. Oof. When the World Trade Center was attacked during 9-11, he was super happy about that because he thought it's an attack on Jewish people. So, wow. yeah, I think that says a lot about him. Oh, yeah. Yep. After almost two years, he now takes her name from her. She's no longer Natasha Kampusch. She's now Bibiana or Bibi. And she has no family, no past. She has only him. And he tells her over and over and over again that he saved her from her past life and that she has to be grateful. But now and then, there are moments when he tries to be nice or kind, if I can call it like this. He allows her a few moments in his nightly garden, for example, to see the stars and feel the grass under her feet. Uh, one time in summer, he takes her to his neighbor's garden, who are on vacation, and he's supposed to take care of their house, and he lets her swim in the pool for a few minutes. He gets her a Christmas tree and Christmas presents and birthday presents and Easter eggs, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. After her first period, her life changed drastically. 
where she was usually downstairs in the secret room most of the time, reading, learning, or watching TV when she was a child. I mean, she's still a child, but no. Yeah. She was now upstairs most of the day. She was now serving him food, cleaning the house spotless, or renovating the upper floor, which was really hard work, really hard work. At 12 years old, she was expected to carry heavy bags of cement. Wow. She was expected to do drywalling or help him tile the floors, these kind of things. If she did something wrong or was not capable of something, he would beat her. And of course, she would only be working and cleaning upstairs during the week from Monday to Friday. Because on the weekends, Priklopil's mother would come over and then she would clean. And I really wonder what she thought about her son keeping such a spotless home. Like, did she think, oh, I raised him to be a very good housekeeper, a very tidy person? Probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. At age 15, Natasha starts to fight back. When he asks her to kneel before him while serving food, she refuses and he tries to force her by pushing her to the floor and then throwing her to the floor but she manages to land on her butt every single time because she doesn't want to give him that gratification. Yeah, she's not going to land on her knees. No. Yeah. Good for her. Good for her, yes. Yeah. When he tells her to call him master or sir, she calls him criminal or <laughs> sweetie, which makes him furious. Sweetie. <laughs> no, that's okay. Sweetie. Sweetie or honey or these kind of things. I like her so much. Yeah, she's feisty. I like it. She even starts to fight back physically. She would punch him. And of course, she had absolutely no chance, but she doesn't allow him to break her will. And she wouldn't just surrender to every request. No. I especially liked one passage in her book where she says that it must have been around that time when she started fighting back that her kidnapper must have realized that not only had he tied her to him, but also that he was tied to her and that any attempt to break that tie could only result in the death of one of them. And in the end, that did prove to be true. After she turns 17, she is allowed to leave the house for the very first time. It's been seven years, can you imagine? No. And the first time he just drives around with her and then they stop in a forest and she's allowed to get out of the car for a couple of moments. A couple of days later, he takes her to a drugstore and she's allowed to pick up two little things. She can choose something. And she chooses a mascara and a peppermint oil that she wants to use to cover up the moldy scent in her cell. And when the cashier greets her, it's the first time in seven years that another person talks to her, someone besides her kidnapper. Wow. The trips to the outside become more and more frequent. He gets bolder after testing the water. And he's seeing that she doesn't attempt to flee. And after all, you have to remember, he wants to marry her one day. Like That's his fantasy. Mm. And he wants to lead like a normal or what he thinks a normal family life would be, uh, which would require her to be outside and interact with others at least once in a while, because it would be too suspicious otherwise. And on one of these outings, they are stopped by the police during a routine traffic control. And Natasha keeps blinking her eyes rapidly, trying to attract the police officer's attention. But he just checks Priklopil's papers and sends them on their way. There were so many missed opportunities, that poor kid. In the winter of 2005, so shortly before Natasha's 18th birthday, Wolfgang Priklopil even takes her skiing. And there, in a public bathroom, she encounters a woman. And that's the first time she's alone with another person. And she tries to talk to her, but uh, the woman apparently didn't understand German and just leaves. Ah, uh, okay. 
all these things we will be discussing more next week because later on they would be used by the public to criticize Natasha. I don't think I have to add unfairly criticize her. Yeah. And yeah, I really want to discuss that more in depth next week. Okay. In spring and summer of 2006, Natasha is allowed to work outside in the garden, of course, always under Periclopil's supervision. And one time a neighbor is trimming his hedges and sees the young girl who is weeding and the neighbor waves and says hi. And then Periclopil tells him, oh, the young girl, she's just my housekeeper. And that's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, who would be suspicious about that, right? No, you really wouldn't be. That's the thing. And I really hate it when, when people are critical of the way people act in extreme situations, right? I mean, yeah. people are going to see what they want to see. His mother is, right? And she's, she's by all accounts a well-adjusted person, you know? Yeah. That's exactly. how life, life works. I mean, you usually don't think, I mean, except for people like us, maybe, who are a little bit more suspicious yeah. because of the stories I mean, we hear all the time or yeah. read all the time. <laughs> but in general, people don't suspect your neighbor is a child abductor. No, no. She probably thought there was, like you said, like, he's just not interested in anyone or he's with someone and he doesn't think I'll approve or just whatever. You know, it's... Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's now the 23rd of August, 2006, a Wednesday. Natasha is 18 years old. And the day starts as usual with the light turning on at 7 a.m. She gets up, she brushes her teeth. She doesn't have breakfast because she ate whatever she had left the night before already because she was hungry. Priclopil then comes and unlocks the door to the cell and he takes her upstairs where she has to prepare his breakfast. And of course, she doesn't get anything to eat. Priclopil is in a very good mood that day. He tells her that he did put the white van in the classifieds and someone wants to buy it. And for that, she has to clean the car completely. And he tells her to start by vacuuming every inch of the van that was used eight years prior to abduct her. I mean, it seems a little counterintuitive to have the person whose DNA you're trying to remove clean the DNA from the scene. But here we are. I mean... Also, I think after eight years, he maybe he wasn't that careful anymore. Like, he for sure should have, well, I'm gonna sell that van and who's gonna look for DNA in there? That's Nobody's true. looking for that's her true. anymore. Yeah, yeah that's true. So Natasha starts vacuuming, Priklopil, of course, keeping a close watch on her, when all of a sudden his mobile phone rings and he answers the call and it's a guy who wants to buy one of the apartments he renovated. And it's very exciting because he needs the money. The problem is he's next to the vacuum and he can't hear anything because of the loud noise of the vacuum, right? So he steps inside for a moment and Natasha realizes that the garden door is not locked. And she musters up all her courage and she carefully puts down the vacuum that's still running and she looks one last time over her shoulder and then she walks out the door. And outside on the sidewalk she starts running and she keeps making rights and lefts and trying to get away mm-hmm. as quick as possible because she's convinced that any time she will feel Priclopil's hand grabbing her <sighs> and suddenly she sees people in the street. It's two men and a child. And she runs towards them, asking them for help to call the police. And the two grown-ups just stare at her and try to avoid her, you know, like (sighs) getting away from her. And they walk past her. And one of the men turns around and says, sorry, I don't have my phone with me. Wow. Natasha keeps running. Uh, She needs to get off the street. She needs to get to safety somehow. And she knocks on doors and nobody's home or nobody's opening. And then in one house, she sees an elderly woman through the window. 
and she knocks on the window asking for help and she asks her to call the police that her name is Natasha Kampusch and that she had been kidnapped eight years ago. And the woman stares at her and then she starts yelling, get out of my garden, what are you doing here? And Natasha insists that please call the police and the woman tells her to wait over there next to the bushes and to not step on her lawn and then she calls the police. Oh my god, what the fuck? Mm. Don't step on my lawn? Mm-hmm. <sighs> And this is so maddening to me. I know. I know exactly what you're thinking. Yeah. But can you imagine this skinny, scared person, completely pale skin, because she's never or almost never outside, and she's pleading for you to help, and you're just being suspicious and telling her to wait outside. And I don't want to be unfair or overly harsh. I don't know that woman. I don't know her story. I know people are scared. And yes, you have to be careful and you have to protect yourself first. But I can guarantee you that in Austria, it's very rare that young women with bruises all over them try to get into your house to harm you. Yeah, I mean, even if you have the biggest reasons to be paranoid, right? I'd still say, hide in my back garden, I'll call the police. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know what th I mean? There Just are other ways. There are other ways yes. to handle that. Yeah. 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 I think it's so sad. Yeah. After eight years, you finally managed to get away. And then you have these two encounters with people not really willing to help you. And for sure she felt like, I mean, how could I have tried to escape sooner? Nobody would have helped me or believed me anyway. And that's when Pariklopil was next to her. Right. Yeah, I don't what know how... What was she supposed to do? Like start screaming, he's, he's my kidnapper? Right. How would people honestly react? Yeah. Maybe nowadays better, but 20 years ago? Yeah. And she'd been with him for years before she was mm. even allowed out of the house, you know? So it's not like, it's not like he was taking her out like this normally, like on a regular basis from yeah. the get-go, you know? It was, yeah, it's just so But sad. also he told her that if she would make a scene, he would kill everybody right. there. And why wouldn't she believe that? Why I mean, wouldn't she? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. So the police comes and they tell Natasha to not move and put her arms over her head, like to raise her arms. Oh my god. Like she's the criminal here. Oh no. And they do check her info that she gives them and slowly they realize that this could actually be true. That there in this little garden in Strasshof, they are standing in front of Natasha Kampusch who had gone missing 3,096 days ago. So a bit over eight years and five months. And they take her to a police station close to Vienna and there are some police officers who had been working on her case and they can't believe she's alive. I mean, they believe her, but they are just in absolute shock, which is understandable. I think after such a long time, most people were probably certain that she was dead. I thought nobody's ever going to find that girl. Yeah. And Natasha is brought into a room where she tells a police officer everything that happened. And in the meantime, they start searching for Wolfgang Briklopil. So he's not in the house. He's gone on the run. He's not in the house. She knew the address, of mm. course, because she had left the house now f several times. The moment he realized Natasha is gone, he runs outside. He's looking up and down the street. But I take it he pretty soon realized that she's out of reach for him. And he gets in his car and drives around aimlessly for a while. He then parks his car in the underground parking at Donutzentrum, which is a shopping mall in the northeast of Vienna. That's where the police would later find his car. The surveillance tapes will later be checked and they show Priklopil walking through the mall up to the info center and there he's asking to use the phone. 
because he doesn't dare to use his cell. Obviously, he's fearing the police could trace him. Around 2 p.m., he calls the only person that is as close as a best friend he could have. Uh, I will talk a bit more about him next week. And he asks this friend to come help him, that he has to pick him up at the mall. And when Priclopil gets into his friend's car, he appears to be very nervous, very stressed. He can't calm down. I mean, obviously. And he tells his friend that he's running from the police because he was caught driving drunk and he doesn't want to lose his driver's license. His friend did believe him dead uh, because he said he was very into cars and it was very important for him. So that made sense, apparently. Mm -hmm. They drive around for a while, even stopping at a gas station to buy chocolate and soft drinks. The friend then drives him from the 22nd district over the Danube Canal to the 20th district near Dresdner Straße, where Priklopil tells his friend to stop and he tells him goodbye. He leaves the car and his friend doesn't see him again. Around 9 p.m. the police gets a call from the railway informing them of a suicide. The dead man was Priklopil, who decided to end his own life by stepping in front of the train. That's how he escaped justice. Oh, fucker. Mm. That's awful. And also, that's awful for the people, the train conductor and the people on that so train. Horrible. Ugh, awful, so horrible. Awful, awful, yeah. awful, awful. It's very uh, traumatic for uh, train conductors. Yeah, it's I saw a, a documentary about it once. It's horrible. Awful. Horrible. The very next day, the news of Natasha Kampusch being alive was broadcasted all over the world. I found so many articles. I picked one. Annie, would you just read this excerpt from the Edmonton Journal from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada? It's from Friday, 25th of August, 2006. The title of the article is Austrian Kidnap Victim Reunited with Her Family. After woman's dramatic escape following eight years in subterranean cell, captor kills himself. The Associated Press, Vienna, Austria. In the quiet, small-town street where a kidnapped Austrian girl is believed to have been held for more than eight years, police searched on Thursday for clues about her captivity, her dramatic escape, and the man who allegedly imprisoned her and has now killed himself. Investigators questioning the young woman who was found in a nearby yard on Wednesday awaited DNA verification of her claim that she is Natasha Kampusch, but the parents have met with her and said they are sure she is the daughter who disappeared on her way to school in Vienna on March 2, 1998. Police who confirmed the identity of alleged kidnapper as Wolfgang Priklopil said he killed himself on Wednesday throwing himself in front of a train in Vienna. They have cordoned off the street in Strasshof, less than 16 kilometers northeast of Vienna, where Priklopil lived, and released the photos of the hiding place in his house where she is alleged to have been held. One photograph appeared to show the small, cluttered interior of the cellar where she was kept and the narrow cement stairs that led down to it. Federal police spokesman Armin Halm said there was a bed and toilet in the cramped space. Images on Austrian television showed that there was also a small television in the room, which had no windows. The room also had a sink and was littered with piles of books, the images showed. Sorry, littered with piles of books? They use that term all the time. Everybody does. And books are not litter, people. No. Sorry. Sorry. Continuing. Littered with piles of books, the images showed. Holmes said the police found Kampusch's passport in the house. Kampusch's mother, Brigitte, said on Austrian television that she was very proud of her daughter. Quote, she said, Mama Mousy to me, a nickname meaning little mouse, an emotional Brigitte said, recalling the moment she saw her daughter again. 
Campush's father, his eyes glistening and his voice wavering, said he never thought he'd live to see the day. Honestly, I didn't think I'd still experience this, he said in remarks broadcast on Austrian television. Few details of Wednesday's events have been made public, but the state broadcaster ORF carried remarks by Eric Zwettler of the Austrian Federal Police saying that the girl escaped from her captor when the door to her hiding place was open and ran into a nearby garden, where she told an elderly woman that her name was Natasha Kampusch and she had been kidnapped. Strasshof is the kind of town where neighbors are friendly but tend to mind their own business. It's a tidy, well-kept, semi-rural community, where houses adorned with flower boxes are mostly set close together. Children play freely in the streets. Residents said Tuesday they were shocked and saw no signs over the years that their community, a quiet place where many leave their doors open, was hiding such a terrible secret. Investigators say it was in a red BMW that the alleged kidnapper fled Strasshof on Wednesday. It was later found in a parking garage in Vienna. Pricklepill, whom police identified with photos and clothing, had the keys to the car on him. Although waiting for formal verification of the woman's identity, Holmes said that the woman had been identified by a scar on one of her upper arms that dates back to an operation she had when she was a child. We are quite sure it's her, he said. Natasha Kampusch's sister said in remarks broadcast on Austrian television that her mother almost had a breakdown when police notified her on Wednesday afternoon of the discovery of the woman, adding that her mother always held on to the hope that her daughter would come back one day. She always said she was still alive, said the sister, identified by the broadcaster as Sabina, end quote. So... It's interesting, there's still a lot of misinformation in that article because it's an early on article, you know. Like, they say she fled when the door to her... Cell was open, but it cell was the garden. Cell left was open. Yeah. Mm, exactly. Yeah, we see that all the time. And we're gonna talk about this more next week, but that's in the beginning how people saw it, that she was kept in that basement for eight years and that she could flee the basement. And I think people then... They couldn't understand how sh how she didn't flee when she was skiing and this kind of stuff. But as I said, we're right. going to get more into that next week. Yeah, that'll be an interesting conversation. Because people always like to like to blame the victim, don't they? It, it oh my God. makes them Well, it makes them feel better that it wouldn't happen to them. Because if it's somehow the victim's fault, then it's less scary because that means that I would never do that thing that that person did. You know what I mean? Plus, they always expect a perfect victim, and there is no perfect victim. And as soon as the victim isn't perfect, they turn against them. Yeah. And that's a very scary and horrible It's terrible. Thing. Well, we're going to yeah. talk so much more about this next yeah. week. But yeah, absolutely. So Natasha Kampusch was free. Wolfgang Briklopil was dead. And that's not the end of it. And as I said, next week, we're going to get into more of all the things that happened afterwards. How horribly Natasha was treated by the Austrian public and mm. the press. There are even conspiracy theories and suspicious death, and I will try my best to give you just the facts, and you can then form your own opinion. Yeah. Sounds good? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I feel very, I feel very protective of her. Same. Yeah. Same. I feel very, very protective of her. She really, well... She did what we encourage everyone to do every week, right? She just kept going. She kept did going. what she, she had going. to do to survive. She kept going and she got home. Yeah. Yeah. It's a miracle, really. I mean... It is. I'm having goosebumps I now know. that you say it like this. How infrequently, mm. how infrequently this is the outcome. Yeah. How infrequently. And this is why it's also so hard 
for these parents dealing with missing persons cases because these miracles happen. I don't know how, I joke with Paul about it all the time, but like one of my least, I've probably already said this, one of my least favorite movies is Castaway because it's every widow's nightmare. It's like the person that you finally accepted was gone and grieved and like did your thing and moved on with your life and you yep. find love again and then they come, they, they're not, so like sad. literally my worst nightmare. Yep. It's, it's literally what I used to have nightmares all the time when I got engaged again was just, oh, he wasn't dead and how could I move on? Constant, yep. you know. And I don't, I don't know, I honestly don't know how people who never have absolute concrete evidence that they're, that the person they love is, is dead, is, you know, a bone with DNA. How, prove it to me. Because if you don't, I don't know how you ever get over it. I don't know how you ever. No, don't. You can't. Yeah. You just can't. There's no closure. No. It's the worst. It's, it's absolutely truly the worst. Yeah. So this is, this is a, It is a terrible story, but it's also a beautiful story and a hopeful story because people do survive these situations yep. and they do get out, you know? All right. I can't wait to talk more about it next week. Really. I'm, uh, and you know, it's interesting because I'm like, how have I never, how do I just not know about this? But she was discovered, she went missing when I was in college. So I just don't think it was mm -hmm. on my radar because I didn't read yeah. newspapers or even have a TV, really, when I was in college. And then when she was found, it was like a year after my first husband was killed. And I don't remember yeah. most of the first two years after he was killed. So that explains it. <laughs> Another mystery solved. When she was found, I was living in Mexico at the time. And <sighs> I remember going to work and it was a, I was working in a hotel. Uh, international place with people from Germany and, and uh, UK and the US and, and people coming like, did you hear this Austrian girl that was in the basement for eight years? And I'm like, what Austrian girl? And I was, and then I read the newspaper, it was Natasha Kampusch. And I remember when she went missing because it made such an impression on me. Told you last week with the flyers everywhere oh, and the of posters. Course. And it's local to and you. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. They found her. Eight years they found her. Eight years. Yeah. They didn't find her. She found them. Yeah, she found them. Yeah. Wow. Good girl. Ugh. I just want to like high five her and give her the biggest hug. I can really recommend you her book. It's yeah. Really, it's really is the, good do you read. know if the, is there an English, is the English translation one any good? I'm pretty I sure can. there is. Yeah. I I'm going to look it, it up for yeah. you. I'm sure it's also titled 3096 Days. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely, definitely buy that. Want to help support her. Wow. All right. All right. Something good. If something good. Oh, Opus just turned three. Oh, Opus just turned three. I know, my good boy. He's such a good boy. He is. He is. Mostly. Mostly a good boy. How about you? My something good is the box that you sent me that was standing here now for almost two weeks mocking me because we didn't, well, I didn't have time to make a video call with you. Uh, so that we could record it for Patreon, the unboxing. And I loved everything so much. Oh, I already used the mug. She got me a, a mug, a Marilyn Monroe mug from the Dell. Yeah. Love it. It's so good. Yay. <laughs> That's good. If you want to see what's in there, you're going to have to check out Patreon. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to 
It's going to be there along with my video footage of the Dell. Now I'm like, nobody cares anymore, right? Everyone's forgotten. Should I still be editing this nobody epic do. video? I want to see it. All right. It's not going to be good though. Just <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I'm terrible at this, but I'm trying to get better. I'm, I'm practicing. Everybody has to start somewhere. So. Well, that's it, right? That's where I'm going to start. I was just rubbing my feet on the carpet. I, I hope you can't hear that on the... They they just got um, pins and needles, so I just gave them a little rub mm. on the rug, and then I realized that ooh, maybe you can hear that. Anyway, so thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're enjoying this amazing story that Johanna has been telling us, then please, please, if you're able to, leave us a rating and a review if you can. That is so, so helpful. It really it's it's just the easiest thing you can do without spending any money to help support the show. And we're so grateful. If you want to know how to get in touch with us, our email is freshhellpodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website, which is freshhellpodcast.com. And there you'll find a drop down menu with links to our merchandise, how to get in touch with us, where you can listen to us. And of course, our Patreon. You can also go to patreon.com and type in Fresh Hell Podcast. And there you'll find a really eclectic collection of things for your enjoyment. Uh, videos and unboxings and photographs and... Bloopers. Bloopers. <laughs> uh, yeah. So go on over to Patreon and that's, that's the way you can support us financially. Tell your pets... We said hi. Tell Opus happy birthday. I will. Hug all your pets. Cuddle them. It's still cold here, so Jamie's still sleeping under the blanket. Please tell your cats, your hamsters, your guinea pigs, your iguanas, your geese, your chickens, <laughs> your ducks, your donkeys, your horses, your elephants, your wallabies, I don't know, whatever you have. Tell them we said hi. Tell them we love them. Tell them we miss them. Please be kind to them. Be kind to the fellow human being who might have had a rough day out there. And the most important thing and the hardest thing of it all, please be kind to yourself. Seriously, that is the hardest. And as we always like to remind you, if you're going through hell, just keep going. Tschüss. Bye. Bye.